Wednesday and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Apollo 13 Minute, a show where each and every day, Monday through Friday, we go over one minute of probably the greatest space history movie ever made, the 1995 Ron Howard-directed feature, Apollo 13. I'm one of your hosts, Jim O'Kane of TVDads.com. And I'm Chris Henry of the EAA Aviation Museum. And we're still back up in the uh, the lunar module. Actually, they're all kind of all cozy together in, in the, the three of them there, bouncing around in the lunar module that was built for two bit of a squeeze and somehow they managed to fit a camera crew in there to, to, film, to film all this stuff. I, I do like the way they kind of isolated uh, when Jack Swigert, who was you know command module pilot, he really doesn't have a place in the lunar module. So uh, it seems very isolated in just the way they're filming them. And uh, they're filming... Uh, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say you're right. You know, it's, uh, you know, it's something I think they did uh, probably intentionally, but, but probably it really did happen as he... He doesn't have a station in there. Where does he go? He's just kind of floating around behind them. <laughs> you yeah, know, he's, I mean, he's just gonna sit on top of the ascent engine for the rest of the flight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I always wanted to ask, and, I, and I, we have to the next time when we get the, uh, one of the Apollo 13 crew members on. Where later in the film, you kind of see them kind of. I don't know. It's almost like he they were getting bored, so like well, they go into the command module and just kind of hang out in the command module, like. You know, I, I always got to wonder if, like, if you do that, like, you see it later on that he, he's up in the command module running numbers, or I don't know if he was supposed to be in the command module or if he was in the tunnel or where he was supposed to be, but I always wondered, did they access that? I mean, not turn anything on, but just for more room, or... Yeah, or, you know, I would imagine it would be freezing cold up there with nothing, you know, all that all that electronics that they were relying on for heat, it's not running, so that's going to be a little bit tough, um, and they're all wearing basically cotton overalls. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one, of, one of the things I did notice on the... Uh, cinematography of this scene as we initially get in there swigert is off center and sideways the other two guys you know they're they're right side up and uh trying to deal with you know he, he's he's out, he's a little bit out of place in this world both you know uh spatially and uh, and uh, organizationally uh he kind of sits up and, and tries to uh right himself by holding on to the last little bit of the command module that's pushing into the into the lunar module um so a little little bit of uh, uh, cinema, c- cinematography going on there. I, I like that that look. Well, yeah, and on top of it, you know, I don't, you know, in the LEM, he probably never spent much time even in the LEM simulator. Yeah. Um, so it, it would be kind of, he would just be out of place, you know. It's something he didn't spend much time in. He doesn't have a place to really go into. And, yeah, and you know, and I think they used that, you know, obviously to the benefit of the film, but, I think it was a smart move. I mean, it, I think we've all been someplace where, whether we're at work or school or whatever, that, you know, we, we were somewhere where we don't usually are, where you don't really know, you know, where to go or how to conduct ourselves necessarily because we're never there. And uh, and I think he's in that situation. Well, I'm, I'm sure, yeah, Chris, I'm sure you, you've, you've done this where you uh, sit jump seat in a, on an aircraft. And it's oh, like yeah. if you're not the pilot and you're not the co-pilot, well, you're just kind of the, the luggage. And uh, yeah, I think he exactly. feels like he's... He's flying the uh, the jump seat there, and it's uh, just uh, awkward. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think it captures the whole idea that they're not feeling alienated by having him there, and uh, and Lovell seems to almost comforting in you know, are you all shut up down there, up there, and everything uh, everything okay? And you know, he's just kind of checking on him. So 
did just about everything but explain how the seat belts work. Um, so, <laughs> and and it's interesting that he brings up the point that he's they're going to have to do a burn. And actually, in, in real life, as we talked with uh, with Fredo uh, a couple of weeks back, that they actually had to do two burns to get uh, righted so they could well first make it back, get back on that free return trajectory, and then the next burn so that they would be aimed at the right part of the uh, of the planet so they'd land on water instead of a uh, you know on land. Uh, so uh, he was pretty prescient as to where where things were going to you know just just from orbital mechanics what they were going to have to do next. Well, yeah, that uh, I couldn't imagine trying to do those burns up there like they're going to have to. Which I don't want to give anything away in the film if yeah. you haven't seen it, but uh, <laughs> I guess we are. But uh, yeah, spoilers. Um, yeah, spoilers. But uh, yeah, I couldn't imagine that. Uh, so we we go from uh, 180 thousand miles away from Earth to uh, a conference room in in Houston. Uh, the uh, I think it's room two hundred one was what I, I think they said earlier, but we're watching uh, uh, Gene Kranz and you've told you've told that story before about how Gene Kranz can say listen up and and everybody listens up. Oh yeah, yeah, witnessed it. Uh, I think I already told it on the on the podcast firsthand. Yeah, he's uh, uh, he's got this sort of Arthur Fonzarelli coolness that he can just put out and sort of demand you know everybody's attention without saying it, but just say listen up. And man, everybody falls quiet and just listens to Gene. <laughs> yeah, and it's uh, it really captures that idea of you've got a lot of stuff to do and, and lot, not a lot of time to do it. Um, nice seeing that old bit of technology with, uh, well, it's just, I, I don't even know if these are being used anymore, but overhead projectors used to be just a <laughs> common thing everywhere. And Oh, yeah, I remember, I remember teachers. I mean, that was a big thing in school, you know, lights out and those things would come on and yeah. Take notes for the test. I mean, it yeah, looked just all, like that. The acetate sheets and all that, and uh, yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah, that's the. I guess nowadays everything's an overhead, a uh, different kind of overhead projector is hanging from the ceiling, or uh, <laughs> it's they're struggling with technology everywhere at NASA apparently. Yeah, basically, uh, Gene tells everybody that the the flight plan's out the window, which it's not really. I mean, it's, it's still, <laughs> they're still going to be planning on coming back to Earth, so they're probably just cutting out the middle part of the flight plan is is going away, and the, the new one is going to involve using a different engine beside the SPS. Gosh, if we get uh, if we get Jim Lovell on, I would really like to ask him about, since he's felt both burns from the SPS and the descent engine, what the what the differences were, were like. I mean, I guess he wasn't standing up when they fired the SPS on Apollo 8, but... Um, yeah, that would be interesting. There, if there's a feel for that. We'll have to ask him. Yeah. <laughs> That's, we'll, uh... Make a note. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, I have to I have to ask him about that. That would be, uh, yeah, it'd be interesting. It'd be interesting. I, you know, the, the thing we, and I know we're going to talk about the lunar modules engine, but the one thing that was kind of cool is we had one on display in our museum. We had the, uh, it was actually the, uh, the ascent engine um, for leaving the moon. Yep. Uh, that we had on display, but uh, it was something that was said. Um, it was. Uh, believe it was Al Warden, we'll have to ask, I'll have to ask Al again, but he told me, you know, that they had to have, they had so much faith in what everybody did on the ground, that that engine had to fire 100% of the time, uh, and work like it was supposed to every time, you know, and he goes, and that, that's a true testament to the, um, you know, to the belief in the people that, uh, that were working on the ground and all the systems that you put all your stock into this single engine that had to work when it had to work and it had to work a hundred percent of the time and then never again. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And yeah. Then... And, and it, it, it was, they, they couldn't, they couldn't test it because 
it would melt the engine bell if they did it in you know in in atmosphere or even in a in a vacuum it wasn't built it, it wasn't built to be relit so you built it and then you fired it it's like it's like trying to undo a match you can't you you can't relight the match <laughs> yeah exactly it was a first time best time yeah it is a testament to the the quality of the the people on the ground i keep as i look at the as i as i look at this thing where ed harris is drawing out the on the uh, on the blackboard as he draws out the earth and the moon and where where apollo 13 is at i can't help but notice there's a couple of uh uh erased out earth and moons pre so I, i'm assuming these are previous takes where they try he's like <laughs> no 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 draw it a little bit bigger draw it a little bit smaller and then, then he did it again and again so uh it's uh it's interesting to see that. i mean they, they put boxes and things like that you know all kinds of flow chart stuff that they had erased to make it look like it had well used but there are a couple of <laughs> Couple of moons and a couple of Earths in the in the, in the um, at least on the Blu-ray version uh, that you can see where he's uh, he's drawn it a couple of times. It, it's kind of like when you're watching those car chases and you notice that there's already um, skid marks on the street where they're yes. about to make the U-turn. Yes, yes, um, yeah. My favorite was even if you watch the old bullet. Uh, chase scene you know there's like a volkswagen bug that shows up like five times in the you know and it's like obviously someone's car or one of those set cars you know yeah yeah there's a there's great scene uh the same the same stunt guys that did uh bullet uh did uh the seven ups and uh, there's a couple of scenes in the seven ups where they're making uh spinning uh uh, three-point turns and (laughs) it's like three little you know like there's this it's kind of like a cursive lowercase l a couple of them uh, in the middle of the street where they've they've tried this two times before <laughs> but uh, yeah that's the beauty of the beauty of cinema is you can you can sometimes see the wires but uh, it's fun <laughs> um, and then we're back with uh, gosh there's a couple of guys I noticed I mean we we talked with uh, with Brett about being an astronaut and having different colored shirts but there are a couple of people with different colored shirts in, in this one I mean uh, Clint Howard's wearing a, a blue shirt and uh, there's an unnamed fellow in the background that is you know, very daring in a green long sleeve shirt, no less. Wow! Yeah. So he must be from out of town. Uh, <laughs> he didn't get the note. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're not supposed to be so colorful. It's, uh, but uh, so so much set decoration here. I mean, there's there's the old 1970s rotary uh, multi-line phone on the back wall. There's um, a bunch of mon- uh, there's a monitor hanging in the background. There's a million pieces of green bar paper. St- uh, stuck to the walls on the on the bulletin boards, uh, the the set dressers must have had a had a field day in this one room, just, <laughs> just getting it all set up. Put all the nostalgia in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> extra nostalgia in that corner. So, uh, but and and the uh, you know all the different badges they're wearing. They're wearing their uh, contractor badges. They're wearing their security badges as to what buildings they could be in. And uh, I, I remember that they're all like there's pink and green and blue, and it, that depended on. I may be wrong, but I think it's the blue pass that gets you into uh, actual mission control. You actually get down there in the in wow. the, the trenches. And I noticed uh, uh, Jerry Bostic is actually wearing a jacket in this one, so it's a uh, another unusual moment. But I guess he was <laughs> figuring he was going to have to talk to the the big brass. And, oh, it turned out to be Gene was the big brass. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's pretty wild. Uh, yeah. I know in an upcoming, I don't think he's in this one, but he's in the next couple shots. Is um, I can't remember his name. He plays Frank Borman in From the Earth to the Moon. Oh yeah, um, and uh, Andrews. Uh, his name, his last name is Andrews, and it'll, yeah, he's the one that started Skynet in, uh, <laughs> in Terminator Three. Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> uh, 
but he uh yeah he he does come in come in good and he's in this one he's playing pete conrad he's played quite a few astronauts I, well that's quite uh, a big leap uh frank borman and pete conrad there's a lot yeah. in between there <laughs> yeah da- david andrews that's there we go thank thank you yeah, internet yeah, <laughs> so, uh, yeah da- david andrews uh of course, being the uh, the uh, Air Force guy that builds Skynet and Terminator Three, so he's just just he's, he's good and bad. He's equal parts good and bad. Yeah, he he, yeah. he meant well. <laughs> um, gosh, there's so much uh, there there's so much going on here, and it's great. Um, this is a great bit of exposition of like how are they going to get back to the moon? So either they do a direct abort, which it, it would be extremely difficult here. That means not only you know trying to head back to Earth, but also stopping them while they're in they're they're just coming into uh lunar gravity so they'd have to reverse course here and do a basically burn the lunar module down to nothing on the tank and uh and hopefully they'd fall back short of the moon um and that's uh, as we're getting to the end of this minute it's dismissed almost out of hand because that's just a crazy waste of fuel and it it really wouldn't buy them that many more hours just instead of just swinging around the moon it's going to add you know they're 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 at uh 57 hours now about so 57 hours they're going to get back in 133 hours if they uh if they just do the uh, the free return trajectory so that seems to be about the safest maneuver i mean they might get back and i think it was I, i think the the calculation was something like 125 hours so it adds maybe seven or eight hours to their free return trajectory. So why not just go around the moon? It's interesting, and I think they they drew it in quite uh, quite well that uh, the you know this is something that was universally dismissed out of hand by the engineers there because it just it, it's possible, but it wouldn't make much sense. Wow, so, yeah, it's an interesting scene. Yeah, yeah, fascinating. I'm um, uh, and much more to come. I mean, who would have thought you could have a, a conference room? <laughs> A conference room meeting that would be uh, full of uh, excitement, but you know <laughs> the the the, uh, the brilliance of Ron Howard being able to get this out of a scene. Although there, you know, I, I, this kind of reminds me of um, in the movie Marooned with uh, Gregory Peck when he's talking about why they can't launch a rescue mission and how long it takes to check out systems, and he lists off all these reasons that you can't get things done uh, in the time frame of bringing Iron Man one back with a rescue mission. Huh. That there's. Um, so it's it's kind of, and that was 15 years before wait let's see 95 so uh no it was uh 25 years before i mean that, that's a similar scene kind of uh wow. predicted although with a different <laughs> no we're not gonna we're not gonna rescue them so uh <laughs> a whole different outcome for this this conference so uh anyway it's a fasc- fascinating move and in, in not office politics but actually getting things done in a meeting which hardly ever happens when you have a, when you have a meeting in an office yeah not so, my meetings <laughs> no i know I, I know long experience mostly it's yeah. just staring at a conference uh you know a, a conference call telephone saying who just joined <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> would somebody turn off their radio please yeah. so uh anyway an in- interesting view of 1970 getting things done um, let's let's talk about this a little bit more some more uh, tomorrow uh, for folks who want to join in on our conversation we're always available on social media at uh, uh, Facebook at the Apollo 13 uh, mission control you can also find us on Twitter of course at Apollo 13 minute uh, if you'd like to uh, 
check up on previous episodes. Of course, they're always available at Apollo13minute.com, Apollo13minute.com, or on iTunes or uh, Google Play. They're, they're out there. And if you subscribe there, we can deliver this uh, stuff to you hot and fresh every morning. So, uh, so check that out by uh, uh, typing in, their ser- in the YouTube, uh, iTunes search bar and, uh, and just say Apollo 13 Minute, and we should be right there ready to subscribe. Uh, but let, anyway, we'll get back to some more uh, office non-politics and a lot of uh, getting things done and building to-do lists uh, tomorrow. It looks like we're coming up on uh, Lost the Signal in about 30 seconds. So we'll see you here Thursday on the Apollo 13 Minute. Mm-hmm.